So good morning, guys. We do book series from time to time, and the reason why, um, I, I love what the Bible Project says. It teaches us that the Bible is one unified story that points to Jesus. And it does. When you study an entire book of the Bible, we learn that everything in the Bible points us forward to Jesus. And so that's one thing. Another thing, it helps us realize that the Bible is, is still relevant to our lives today and that we can still learn from it, that, we can, that God can speak into our life to instruct us, to correct us, to guide us. And so as we study through a book like this, you don't get to skip over the hard parts. And Ecclesiastes, man, it's a tough book. Um, it, it really challenges us in how we think and how we live. So um, I'm thankful that we can do that. But it also teaches you how to read your Bible on your own. Um, as Hopefully as we've gone through this and you've learned a little bit about how to kind of dig in and, and kind of understand the different passages and, and what questions you can ask and, and what you can be looking for. It, it, you're really learning uh, together how to correctly interpret the Bible. You know, uh, Paul tells us that we need to learn to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. And, and that's what we do when we go through a whole book like this. So um, I appreciate you guys hanging in there uh, for these last six weeks as we've gone through this book. Next week, we get to start a new series that kind of leads us into Easter. Uh, and it's about Jesus, how he seeks and saves the lost. And uh, it, it's going to be a great one. But I'm so thankful that we can still learn together. We can dig into even the Old Testament and see how it points us to Jesus. Uh, so as they mentioned in that video, throughout Ecclesiastes, the Hebrew word for vanity, hevel, it has kind of been the, the metaphor that's gone throughout the book, that everything is hevel, everything is meaningless, everything is vanity of vanities, everything we can't really grasp or comprehend, uh, we can't really see clearly, and that's the message that he's been giving us. And, and as he's gone through this book, he's talked about how he searched for fulfillment in all these places and wisdom and pleasure and money and wealth and women, all these things, and they have all left him empty. Apart from God, life really is meaningless. And so now, uh, last week, we talked about verse 8 that he says again in, in chapter 12. And, and that's what we'll be today, if you've got your Bibles, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Uh, in verse 8, he said last week, we talked about it last week, he, he kind of ends again. Everything is meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Uh, vanity of vanities. And, and instead of ending right there, thankfully, we get kind of a, a footnote, an epilogue, kind of, so to speak, at the end of the book here that kind of goes one more time and says, okay, this is what really is important. And so uh, it's written a little differently. It's written in third person. So uh, it may be another teacher, as the video said, referring back to Solomon. It could just be Solomon writing about his own life. But he gives us some instructions, and I'm going to break it down for us in three different lessons today. So here's the first lesson that we need to learn, and it's simply this. We all need truth. We all need truth. It's so important that we understand what truth is, that we don't shy away from it, that we're not scared of truth, that instead we look to the right place for truth. So let's jump into this final section, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. He says this, keep this in mind, the teacher was considered wise, and he taught people everything he knew. He listened carefully to many proverbs, studying and classifying them. The teacher sought to find just the right words to express truths clearly. 
So what this is, right, we get to the end, and what this is, this is a reminder that we can trust, that we can believe what we have just read. Um, It's like a stamp of approval on this whole book when we get to the end. It's like, this is his resume. It's like, okay, you can believe what this guy has been telling us because he is wise he, he has taught people everything he's, he's done. He's listened. He's, he's classified all this. He's spent time in this. This is not just someone's opinion. He has experienced this. He has lived this. And you can trust it. And, and so I, I want to focus in on what we need when we come to church. And I believe what we all need is truth. Part of my job when I preach is to teach you truth. Now, the truth is... You don't really need my opinion, right? I've got a lot of opinions about a lot of things. And I could share my opinions. I could, you know, I could give you an opinion about anything, about a lot of things, right? Because we all have opinions. You don't come to church to hear my opinion, though, right? We don't, you don't need my opinion when you come to church. What you need is the truth. What you need to hear from is from God. And so you don't need my opinion about politics. You don't need my opinion uh, about what I think. About You need God's Word. And so that's my focus when you come to Cornerstone. I want to teach you truth. Truth that can be applied in your own life. And so when Paul talks to young Timothy, what does he tell him? He tells him in 2 Timothy 3.16, he says, All Scripture, all Scripture is inspired by God. That God breathed word, right? That God has spoken life into the scripture. And it is useful to teach us what is true and to make us what, to realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. That's why we need truth. Because it teaches us right from wrong. It corrects us. It speaks into our life. It challenges us. It transforms us. It helps us to be more like Jesus. So when we get together, that's what we need. We need a steady diet of truth every single week. And so that's another reason we can look through the Bible and we can learn from it and we can study books like this. And so what is the preacher in Ecclesiastes? How did he share truth? It says that he weighed carefully what he wrote and said. So he took time. He was making sure that he was teaching truth. He sought out. He explored. He dug deep into what he could present and what he could share. It says that he, some translations say he set in order. He arranged many proverbs. And so what he did, he organized. He, he learned all this stuff and then he organized it. And that's why we have Proverbs and that's why we have Ecclesiastes, right? It's Solomon taking all this stuff and kind of putting it in the right places to teach us what we really need to know. And so a good teacher, that's what they do, right? Uh, they, they, they need to realize what is true. They need to weigh carefully what they say. They need to dig deep into the knowledge and make sure they understand it. They need to organize it and teach it. And so right here, what we have in Ecclesiastes, we have a model for how to teach and how to preach. So what he's kind of teaching us right here, this is, we need truth, and this is how we go about it. Um, so I, I love this. For, for me, I, I'll tell you that when I teach, I really do, I, I take the responsibility seriously. I've been preaching now uh, here at Cornerstone for, this is going on almost 16 years now. 
It's a lot of sermons, a lot of messages, a lot of study over the years. Um, but I take it seriously because it, it's, a, it's a responsibility I have, again, to not give you my opinion, not to just get up here and run my mouth, but to tell you the truth of what God really says. And so I don't apologize for that. Um, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't make excuses uh, for that. I, I don't, I, I just want to tell you what God's word says and leave the results up to, to him. Now, I will tell you, when I went to Israel last year, man, it really, one of the things it did, it just showed me, um, just in a real and tangible way, that what we're teaching, what we're sharing, it is true. Because you get to see the very places that Jesus walked and taught and taught, and, and you get to see how the things in the Bible actually line up uh, with the archaeology. You get to see how the things in the Bible kind of align with the geography there. You get to see how it all comes together. And, it, and for me, the one thing it did so much, it just reaffirmed my faith that what we teach and preach is true. And so I want you guys to know that when we, again, when we study the Bible, we can have confidence that we are hearing the very words of God. Um, I love, I came across a statement about the Bible when I was studying this week. I tried to find the source of it. I, I couldn't find it, um, but it's, it's, it's cool. It says the Bible. It says, the book, this book contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrine is holy. Its precepts are binding. Its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be saved, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Here heaven is opened and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should feel the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. It is given you in life, will be opened at the judgment, and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, will reward faithful labor, and condemn all who trifle with its sacred contents. That's the Bible. I love, and I, if nothing else, I want you guys to have a love of the Bible. I want you guys to leave here and, and not say, man, that was a good message. Or that was a great song that we sang. I want you to leave here and say, we serve such a good and gracious and loving and merciful God. I want to spend time with him. That's our goal, right? When we get, we should leave here more in love with God each and every Sunday and more in love with his word that he speaks to us. And so I want to give you, I want to teach you, I want to help you understand how precious its truth really is. Psalm 19, um, I don't think I have it in, on, on the screen, but it says this. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. 
The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. So again, I think as we start in this very last section, we see the truth is really important. We need truth. But what else do we need? It keeps going. We need correction. We need correction. It's the second thing here. Now, this is where it gets a little difficult. This is where it gets a little uncomfortable. I don't think any of us really like being corrected. I don't know about you, but uh, when you have done something wrong, and whether it's at work and someone comes and says, you're doing it completely wrong, um, that's not something we get. oh, great, I'm so happy you told me that. Uh, you know, when your spouse tells you, um, I'm sorry, but you made a mistake, you're wrong, and I've heard that often, right? Um, that's, you know, that's not something we love to hear. We don't like to, to hear that. I'm just joking. Jennifer doesn't do that. I should be, be I, she, she's very loving and gracious. But, I'm see, I, I got to be careful here. Um, I got to speak truth, right? <laughs> so, um, but we need correction. But man, it, it's so uncomfortable. It's painful even sometimes to learn where to, to kind of see our shortcomings to see where we've messed up we all have blind spots we don't like to know about them even sometimes and and, and so uh, but when we keep going here in ecclesiastes this is important verse 11 it says the words of the wise are like cattle prods painful but helpful their collected sayings are like a nail-studded stick with which a shepherd drives its sheep. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound pleasant, right? Like a, a, a cattle prod, uh, you know, it, it's talking about this goad here. The, 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 you know, in some translations, they say the goad that they're using the, the stick. Um, he's telling us that correction, that truth, it's not... It, it's not just helpful, it's not just true, but it's essential. But it's also painful. Uh, Philip Ryken says, he talks about this, he says this object, he said it's, this goat is one of the tools of a shepherd's trade. It's a sharp stick that, that spurs a stubborn beast to keep moving. And that's what Ecclesiastes does for us as people of faith. He says, think of Ecclesiastes as the Bible's cattle prod. The preacher's word push us to expect lasting satisfaction, not from money or pleasure, but only in God's goodness. They steer us away from foolishness. They, they spur us on to patience and contentment and joy. And when we forget about God, the, the preacher prompts us to remember our creator. And the moment we start to think that we will live forever, he pokes us in the ribs and reminds us that we're all going to soon die. That's what Ecclesiastes is doing. So it kind of keeps us on the right path. It keeps us from focusing on things that don't have eternal significance. And so every time we start going off track and, and trying to find our joy and happiness somewhere else, it's like he pokes us and says, nope, that's not where you need to be. Get back on the path. We slow down and we stop. He's like, no, keep going. Don't give up. Your life is short. Your life is brief. You have a goal. You keep your eyes on God. And so the truth, the idea is that the truth that he is teaching us is going to prod us into action. 
going to keep us moving. John Piper says this. He says, It is not the job of the Christian preacher to give people moral or psychological pep talks about how to get along in the world. Someone else can do that. Most of our people have no one in the world to tell them week in and week out about the supreme beauty and majesty of God. That's what we need to learn. That's what brings us to repentance. That's what corrects us. That's what transforms us. We need more than a TED Talk for 20 minutes on Sunday morning. We need truth. Now, I've talked before, and I think I've brought up this um, term before, and uh, man, it just connects with me every time I hear someone talk about it. But um, there was a book written back in um, uh, 2005 called Soul Searching, and it was about American teenagers and their beliefs. And it kind of it gave a name to the common teaching, I think, of our day and age. And it called it moral therapeutic deism. Have you heard of that before? Uh, moral therapeutic deism. Um, and um, it's the belief that God wants us to be happy and he wants us to be good people. And not only that, that he is there to fix our problems. That's the therapy part. He, he, he's there, but he's not really involved in our life, doesn't really care uh, about our day-to-day activities, but he just wants us to be good. And, and good people go to heaven. And the reality is, so many people in our community, right here in Galax, right here in the Twin County area, believe this. They bought into this concept, God is out there somewhere. He wants us to be good, and good people go to heaven, and God is there in case we get into trouble and he'll fix our problems. That's their viewpoint of God. Matt Chandler in his book, The The Explicit Gospel, he talks about this. And he was talking about doing baptisms and how just time after time he came across people who had never heard the gospel. He said he over and over again he heard a variation of this same story. I grew up in church. We went every Sunday morning and night. We even went to Wednesday prayer, vacation Bible school, youth camp. If the doors were open, we were there. I was baptized when I was six, seven, or eight, but I didn't understand what the gospel was. And after a while, I lost interest in church and Jesus, and I started walking in open sin. Someone recently sat me down and explained and invited me to church, and I heard the gospel for the first time. I was blown away. How did I miss that? No one ever taught me that. It's a, it's a shame that people can be in church and not learn the gospel. And the gospel is not that Jesus wants you to be good so that good people go to heaven. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that we're not good, that we're sinners, that we need a Savior, and that we can't achieve heaven on our own. That's why Jesus came. That's why he went to the cross on our behalf. The gospel message corrects us. It says you can't stay in your sin. You've got to turn from your sin, and you've got to turn to Jesus. That's the gospel message. That's what we've got to hear over and over again. Not that we're good people that need a pep talk. right? We need correction. We need that cattle prod. And I'm telling you, I don't like to get poked. But I don't like people like saying, no, you're on the wrong path. But that's what we need. And if you come to church and sometimes your toes get stepped on, sometimes you get offended, that's not my problem. Okay? The Bible is offensive. When we are in sin, when it corrects us, man, it will get all over you sometimes. And that's all right. We've got to learn to say, you know what? 
when God speaks to me, he's the creator of the universe. He knows best. His plan is best. His plan is much better than mine. And it's all right. He has the right to interrupt you and correct you at any time. That's why we need correction. Um, so the gospel, I mean, that's it just we need correct. The gospel calls us to be transformed. And that starts with the realization that we aren't where we need to be. And I think Ecclesiastes has done that through this whole book. It's like, if you're looking in any of these places, that's not going to bring you fulfillment. But it's interesting that when he starts talking about correction, he says you need truth. Um, he kind of he cautions us where to find that truth. And I'm just going to say, students, this is not your theme verse. Okay, don't take this verse out of context. You'll see why. It says this in verse 12. But, my child, let me give you some further advice. Be careful, for writing books is endless, and much study wears you out. Okay? Don't pull this out of context and say, I don't need to read books. Why do I don't need to read? He, he, he tells me right here in Ecclesiastes, don't read books. Don't study. It's worthless. It doesn't add up to anything. Here, in context, right, where he's, what he's teaching us is we need truth, but we need to be careful where we get it from. In context, what he's telling us, we need correction. But where does it come from? It comes from God. Um, studying and reading aren't bad, but we have to be careful what we do read and study. There are so many books out there. There are so many people out there that will tell you this is what you need to do. This is what you need to know. They'll kind of lead you off the path. And, and, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I'll double down on it. I think many Christians are discipled more by cable news than they are the Bible. I think many Christians are discipled more by Hollywood than they are the Bible. I think many Christians are discipled more by social media, by Facebook and TikTok, rather than the Bible. So what are we reading and studying and learning from? This is so important that we learn that if we want to be shaped by Jesus, we need to be, we need to be, if we want to look like Jesus, we need to be shaped by Jesus, right? Romans 12, verse 2, we know it all, right? Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Philip Ryken in his book said, We should always remember that human wisdom is extremely limited. How many books have been written, yet how little most of them teach us about the knowledge of God. By far the most important book for us to study is the Bible, including everything in Ecclesiastes. So he's just reminding us. We need truth, we need correction, but where does it come from? It comes from God, and it comes from His Word. And we need one last thing. We need a faith that transforms us. We all need this faith that will transform us. Now, that's my last point this morning, and we'll see it as we kind of keep going here um, in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. It says, That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey His commands, for this is everyone's duty. This idea of uh, fearing God, uh, we see it throughout the Old Testament. And I think we need to, to camp out here for a minute and talk about what this looks like because we need to have an understanding of what this is. Um, Psalm 111 says, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. 
All who obey His commandments will grow in wisdom. Proverbs 1.7 says, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Uh, we've read about this before in Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes 5.7 it says, Talk is cheap like daydreams and other useless activities. Fear God instead. He has said that we should fear God in times of adversity as well as in times of prosperity. And in Ecclesiastes 7.18, he says, Pay attention to these instructions, for anyone who fears God will avoid both extremes. Um, if we fear God, he said, it's going to go well with us. In Ecclesiastes 8, it says, For even though a person sins a hundred times and still lives a long time, I know those who fear God will be better off. And so what he's talking about here, this is not the kind of fear that keeps us scared and hiding in the corner. I think when we think of fear, we think like a horror movie where we like can't watch and, and we're just scared to death. That's not the kind of fear uh, he's talking about. It's submitting ourselves to a God that is far more loving and far, far more powerful than we can even understand. Uh, David Gibson in his book said this, he says, To fear the Lord is to remember the Creator. Or remember the creator and vice versa. And this is the pathway to wise living. To fear and to remember is to regard God with all the adoration, love, and obedience that rightfully belongs to him. Charles Bridges says that the fear of the Lord is that affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's law. So fearing the Lord and remembering our creator makes us wise. Because it teaches us to live on our knees. It humbles us as the creature and exalts God as the creator who knows what is best. To fear God is to see God as God. It's to understand God is who he says he is. It's to know he is all powerful. It's to know that he created us. It's to know who he is. He is above all things. Nothing in, in, in existence is his equal, and nothing can begin to rival his glory. Um, we, we see that, that fear, it's not only the beginning of wisdom, it's also the beginning of joy, though. And I think that's what Ecclesiastes has taught us. If you don't, apart from God, in other words, under the sun, there is no really understanding of true joy and contentment. All this stuff that he thought was going to be what he was really looking for just left him empty over and over. But when you add God to the equation, when you understand who God is, it puts everything in perspective. And, and so um, I, it's, just, it kinda, it's neat how this kind of at the very end he's pulling everything together that we've been reading. And then in verse 14 he adds one more thing for us. I think that does finally tie everything together. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. So all this, he's been reminding us, he's been teaching us, he's told us to fear God because one day we're going to be before him and we're going to stand in judgment. And we're responsible for how we have lived our life. We're responsible to him for what we have done with what he has given us. It's a sobering thought, right? It's a little bit of a scary thought. You, you want to say, well, God is loving everybody. It's all going to work out good in the end. For, yes, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are forgiven. Yes, you have an advocate that stands before the Father on your behalf. But we still stand in judgment for every idle word, every thought, everything we've done. 
And I, I don't know about you, but I don't want to stand before God one day and, say, and just feel the weight of all those choices that I've made that have let God down. Now, we get to be with God forever, for all of eternity, for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus. But we all will stand before Him one day. Philip Ryken says, At the end of Ecclesiastes, we are told to fear God because one day we will fall into His hands for judgment. Whether we are ready to come before God now or, or, or whether we hope to avoid Him, the truth is that one day every one of us will stand before Him. One day God's going to expose every secret sin, every idle word, um, he's going to expose every, and not just the bad, he's going to expose all the good things that we have done with our life as well. And here's what I want you to remember. If there is no God, then there is no judge. Uh, if there is no judge, then there will be no final judgment. If there's no final judgment, there is no ultimate meaning to life. Nothing really does matter. But in Ecclesiastes, what we see here, there is a God who is just, who will judge. And that's why everything matters. If there's no God, nothing matters. If there is a God, everything matters. You understand that, right? That's what we've learned through this whole book. That's what pulls it all together. If there is a God, everything that we do, everything we say, it really does matter. And so there's that, that's just kind of a sobering thought here. Now, throughout the Bible, it talks about judgment. Psalm 96, let the fields and their crops burst out with joy let the trees of the forest sing for joy uh, before the lord for he is coming he is coming to judge the earth he will judge the world with justice and the nations with his truth second corinthians says this for we must all stand before christ to be judged we will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body Acts 17 says, For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he has proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. And so the point of this whole section is that truth transforms those who fear God and keep his commandments. And so what we want to do today, what changes when we really follow, I said we need a faith that transforms us we need we need a faith that changes us I can think of no better way to, to kind of conclude this sermon series than by talking about baptism and communion and those are those are the two things right that Christ commanded that show to the world how we have been changed let's talk about baptism first um, we're going to plan a baptism in a few weeks after Easter so um, what, is it, what does baptism mean? Well, one, it's a command of Christ. That baptism publicly signifies to everyone else our intent to walk with Jesus. Uh, it, it's a moment of celebration, uh, but it's also, uh, uh, I would say that it's a sign and a seal. It's a sign. It, it's a public declaration that I belong to Jesus. So many times at baptism services, I, I've I've used this to explain to the kids. I'll say, yeah, I've got a wedding ring. This wedding ring in and of itself doesn't mean that I'm, it doesn't make me married. So I could take my ring off and put it on a kid's hand. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're married if I put this on you, right? It's, what it, it's a sign. It's a sign to the world of a commitment that I've made. And that's what baptism is. Baptism in and of itself doesn't save us, but it's a sign to the world that we are saved. But it's also a seal because it's God putting his stamp of approval on us that we followed his commands. It's, us, it's God saying, you belong to me. 
and that you are part of this church. You are part of this congregation, this local body of believers who are working together to advance the gospel. So it's a sign and a seal. And so I think that's a great way to describe what a baptism is. And if you've not been baptized, if you are a follower of Jesus and you've never been baptized, then what's stopping you? What's keeping you from being baptized? We'll, like I said, we'll have one. Uh, we're going to plan it after Easter, and then we'll have one in August at the river. So two opportunities coming up for you um, to be baptized. But if um, baptism is like a ring uh, that signifies that you're married... What is communion, the Lord's Supper? It's like the renewing of your wedding vows. When Jesus got his disciples together at the Last Supper, he was teaching them and said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me as often as you get together. He, he did it as a way that we could come together and remember what he did for us. It's a way to, to renew ourselves again to the mission that he has given us. Remember how his body was broken, how his blood was poured out for us. And, and so communion does that. It, it's, it's the simple act of eating and drinking and showing that Jesus is the true Passover lamb. When the disciples got together for the Passover meal, uh, the, the bread and the wine for, for centuries had stood as reminders of the lamb who was slaughtered on that first Passover. And Jesus said, from this point on, that blood is going to signify the perfect lamb who was slain for you. It's going to signify my blood. It's going to signify my body that was broken. And, and so baptism and communion are both they're, they're for people who profess their faith in Jesus. I'm going to ask the, the praise team to come back up. Um, they're going to play, and, and we're going to have a time to, to receive uh, the elements. And I'm going to ask that you come get them. We've got them here, here, and way back in the cafe um, and bring them back to your seat. We'll take them together um, here in just a minute as soon as everybody has got a chance to do it. Uh, but this, this, this whole idea, you know, baptism shows that we belong to Jesus. The Lord's Supper just reminds us that we do belong to Him. And so this is a time, it, it brings us together in unity. It shows that we're united. It shows that our eyes are on Jesus. If you're watching online, uh, I would love for you to join us as well. Get some juice and, and bread, and you can join us from where you are. Um, but let's, um, let's pray right now, and then um, we'll, as soon as I finish praying, we'll come and receive the elements. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for this time we've had to study your word and study your, your book of Ecclesiastes that teaches us so much about our faith. And Lord, I pray that today, as we kind of wrap up this series and wrap up this sermon that we keep our eyes on Jesus, that we have a faith that transforms us. I pray for each and every person that's here and each and every person watching online that they know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The Bible is clear. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we believe in our heart, God, that you raised Jesus from the dead, we'll be saved. And so that, that's the gospel message, not that we're good enough to get to heaven, but we're not good enough, that we need Jesus to come and save us. And so I'm thankful for Jesus. Lord, I pray as we get ready to receive this communion that you would just help us to be united. That you would help us to know that we have unity and what we believe and, and who we follow. That we have a truth that guides us. A truth that corrects us. And a faith that transforms us. Lord, I just thank, I'm so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful for this morning. I'm thankful we were able to have church in the, the midst of this cold 
dreary day. But Lord, we just want to give you thanks this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. So you can go ahead now and make your way to the front and receive the, the juice and the bread and then come back to your seats. complicated to open the clear tab on top kind of pulls back and gives you access to the bread so if you take the bread out in first corinthians chapter 11 paul says for i received from the lord what i also delivered to you that the lord jesus on the night when he was betrayed he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me second tab here of the full that pulls back for the juice in the same way he also took the cup after supper saying this cup this cup it, it's the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance As you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. I'm so thankful for that, that every time we get together, that's what we're, we're proclaiming, the Lord's death until he comes again. That we have a mission, that we have an urgency, that we need to tell people about Jesus. We need to go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that Christ has commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's why we exist as a church. It's not to come and, and feel good about it ourselves. It's to remind us how great God is and how holy God is. It's to remind us of what he has called us to do. So when we worship, and we're going to have a, a time of worship now at the end of our service, we're going to do things a little differently. We need to worship God for who he really is. Do you see God for who he is? His holiness, his mightiness. His grace, His mercy, His love for us. Well, let's stand together and we're going we're gonna to sing. We're going to praise God today. I hope that's all right with you guys.